This Three Beards Media podcast is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Chrissy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. Just eight short years later, in 2020, Revelton Distilling Company was opened, offering an entire family of products, including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the tasting room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, where you can sample one of their many spirits, including four gold medal winners. Can't make it to Osceola today? Not a problem, as you can pick some up at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery stores. Follow Revelton Distilling on Twitter or Instagram at ReveltonDC or their website www.reveltondistilling.com. This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes, and if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it! Would you like to sample some of my nuts? Hello, and welcome back to yet again another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of Three Beards Media brought to you by Revolution Distilling Company. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing? We are doing pretty well this week. How are you? Uh, I am not too bad. Uh, it's been uh, it's been an interesting week, but uh, it's good. Um, I've been able to to get out and do some fun things with my daughter, and so I've really appreciated that. That's always good. It's always yeah. good to build those yeah. memories. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't really have anything, any witty anecdotes or anything for the week. Uh, this week. <laughs> none, that we, none that we can talk about on air. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, uh, why don't we go ahead and, and get into our guest? Uh, usually I have Chris introduce the guest because usually he's the one who has booked it, but this time I'm going to go ahead and take that one. Tim, uh, some, Tim did some work. Yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> look at that. I actually, I actually did something for once. Uh, no, I'm really excited to talk to this person. Uh, he and I have, have followed each other on Twitter for quite a while. Um, he's got a really interesting story. Uh, just a lot of really interesting things in general. So I'm really excited to talk to him. Uh, podcaster, uh, content producer, boxing photographer, a little bit of everything. So our guest this week is Ryan Hafey. What's up? Ryan, welcome to Old Man Strength. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I kind of tease the audience a little bit about what you do, but I think you probably have an opportunity to tell everyone uh, a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So, okay. Uh, I do a few things. Um, first of all, I'm a, a husband and father, three kids, three dogs, if you want to count that. Um, I, by day, my, my day job is I work for uh, Premier Boxing Champions, aka Heyman Sports. Uh, my title is actually Vice President of Digital, but most people know me for my boxing photography work, which is kind of my primary role when it comes to fight night. Um, but we do everything uh, digital for PVC, whether it's, you know, in-house content creation, social media marketing, 
going to the events, working with fighters, managing the website, email marketing, all that kind of stuff. Me and my very small team get to spearhead that. Uh, so a lot of fun over there. Um, on the side of that, I have my own little production company. By little, I mean just me. Um, but one of my main gigs through that is uh, podcast production. So I work with Sean Porter, who is a former two-time welterweight world champion. Uh, he started his podcast almost three years ago. It'll be three years next month. And I've uh, been rocking with him on that, just uh, handling the behind-the-scenes production, get everything uploaded out on YouTube, kind of uh, you know all the creative, getting everything looking good. Uh, and then occasionally I'll do um, photography and video gigs and things like that every now and then when they come up and when time allows. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> I mean, that's about it. That's that's, that's quite that's a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's yeah, a, a lot more has piled on over the years for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing, uh, as you and I have kind of followed each other, uh, it seems like you always kind of have something going on. Um, uh, I, I did want to take a second to talk about your dogs, though, because you did post an absolutely adorable picture of your dog earlier <laughs> today. Uh, um, uh, that seems like that's quite a full household. Yeah, yeah, three dogs. We just got a new uh, a new puppy, an English bulldog. Um, this was uh, my wife's dream to have a an English bulldog. We we had a pug who was just kind of her baby who passed away, um, uh, you know, months back, and uh, so we finally got her a new baby. So he's terrorizing the house right now, um, trying to make friends with our other two dogs. We've got Akane Corso, which is an Italian mastiff, um, mm -hmm. and uh, which. He looks big and scary, but he's afraid of everything. And then we've got a little <laughs> Chewini who is kind of the instigator of the household. So, yeah, I mean, with three kids, three dogs, uh, <laughs> definitely keep me on my toes for sure. You're running the game out there for sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to to talk uh, a little bit about how you got into uh, premier boxing and how you got into to covering boxing and, and kind of what that that backstory looks like. Sure. So uh, it's a very unconventional route compared to most people that get into boxing in that, you know, boxing is very, a very tight knit uh, industry. And usually if you work in boxing, you kind of come up in it or are involved with it from a young age, or maybe you came into it, you know, from your family. Um, my story was a little bit different. So when premier boxing champions uh, was launched, I actually started with the company, prior to its launch, but basically they were, they were kind of looking to sort of revolutionize what's going on in boxing. Um, and just really, they wanted to make a big splash, but what they were looking for initially was, was content creators. And I had had experience prior to working with this company of just, you know, doing my own in-house content, YouTube channels and things like that. I had put my work out online, uh, LinkedIn and things like that. Um, and it was back in, summer of 2014 someone just uh messaged me randomly from a company called ko sports which i'm googling and i don't see anything for ko sports i'm like what's, what's going on here what is this thing <laughs> you have this opportunity in boxing that you might be interested in uh, let me know if you want to chat about it thing is at the time i was working for a digital marketing agency that uh, and i i just wasn't enjoying it i was you know doing social media content for like government agencies and things like that. And it was just not very, very uh, fun work. So I thought, okay, what do I have to lose? This seems a little bit sketchy. Worst case scenario, I go meet with the guy in some public place where there's people standing around yeah. and uh, if it sounds a little bit too weird. I can just walk away and, and uh, that'll be that. And uh, went and sat down with this guy um, who would 
eventually become my boss and he kind of told me what was going on. I wasn't a boxing fan prior, um, to, to this job. Uh, my wife who is uh, Filipino, uh, obviously, you know, and whenever Manny Pacquiao fights, they like to get together and have the big family party. So I did watch a lot of his fights, but, um, I didn't follow boxing a whole lot. And they said, you know, we're not looking for people who know boxing necessarily. We're looking for people who understand content and, uh, you know, to be actually nine years this month now that I've been with the company, uh, and I've obviously had uh, plenty of time to to kind of learn about the industry over that time. But yeah, that's pretty much it. It just it was just my content background that got me into it, and uh, I've been there ever since. So let me ask you about before that when you were doing your YouTube channel and things like that. What inspired you to start that, and what was some of those early days like? Uh, that's a that's also kind of a big question. I mean. You know what I, I um, if you want to go way back, I grew up in a small town, you know, no cable growing up, kind of one of those areas where you can just leave your doors unlocked and walk around. Yep. Um, didn't have much drive in life, just knew that I was kind of a free spirit. So, you know, I, I thought I was a creative person, um, ended up going to college and still didn't know what I wanted to do after college, ended up de declaring um, a major in marketing, thinking, you know, I'm sure my creative abilities can go to work there. Um, and then after college, uh, actually, as I was getting out of college, that's when social media was was kind of coming around and Facebook, which was still only open to college students that, that shows you how old I am. But <laughs> Facebook was just kind of coming around. I was getting really interested in how um, companies were starting to use this new tool called social media to drive business and things like that. And I thought, okay, well, this is under the realm of marketing. So Maybe I'll try to kind of go down this route. And um, so I pursued a career in social media marketing. Um, and what I kind of realized as I went along was that uh, I enjoyed the process of kind of creating content more than I did actually, you know, creating marketing campaigns and posting to social media and writing captions. I was also the kind of person growing up who uh, I, I was very envious of artists like people who could draw and paint like realistic things i remember my dad used to just growing up used to draw football players on a napkin and they were so lifelike and i was so mystified by that but i, I just never had that artistic gene in me i guess um so that kind of led me to the world of photo photography and video in that you know i could just sort of take what already exists and you know create something from that versus trying to draw something from scratch and that ended up uh, working out for me. So everything just kind of evolved. In fact, we're on a podcast right now. The, the, I, one of my first sort of content creation ventures was in 2009. I started my uh, a podcast, uh, shortly after getting out of college in 2009, it was some, you know, it, it, I didn't do it for too long, just kind of long enough to figure out how it works. Um, had some fun with that from there. I moved on and bit the bullet and bought an entry level DSLR, started using that to take pictures of the family. Um, after a little while, my wife and I started a YouTube channel where we uh, um, just, we called it Pintastic Recipes, where we would find interesting Pinterest recipes and we would <laughs> cook them and we would rate them. And it was actually a lot of fun. And then that led to a number of other projects on YouTube. I, I, I've started and, and left behind plenty of, of channels at this point, but it's just kind of been one thing after another and, and everything sort of now has all sort of come back full circle in that I'm doing podcast production, which kind of marries all of the worlds of audio and video and even photo to, to a certain degree. So, uh, it was just kind of a progression over time. 
So I you talk about photography. Um, you know, one thing that I, I've known you for is is your boxing photography, which is just some incredible stuff. Um, Thank you. But it's also something that has to be, I, I would think, very difficult to photograph because of the action and the pace. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, still lives or, or nature photography or anything like that. You've got a lot of, yeah. a lot, a lot of movement. Um, but it, were you all just kind of self-taught in all of those things? Did, did you take any courses? Like how, how did you get to be as good as you are at what you're doing with that? Uh, I mean, ultimately just a lot of practice. I, I, I am mostly self-taught. I think um, for a lot of my creative endeavors that I pursued early on, I would, you know, join a lot of Facebook groups and, and sort of, uh, groups of, of peers who are doing the same thing to kind of get validation. Like, what do you guys think of this photo? What do you think of that? Whatever. Um, and got a lot of good feedback from that, but ultimately it's just, uh, there's the little dog we spoke of earlier, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just really practice. I mean, I, I've been shooting, um, boxing since, uh, I guess it'd be 2014, 2015. So really just a lot of reps. And when you're shooting a fight night that can have anywhere from eight to 12 fights on a card, you know, and you're, and you're shooting all of those fights and you're shooting hundreds of photos for each fight. Um, it just kind of adds up over time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, just reps, just reps. Yeah. How many, how many pictures do you think you, you, you take in, in any given, uh, fight night? <laughs> Uh, well, on a fight night, do some quick math. Um, actually, you know what? I did the numbers recently. I, I I put up a tweet about it. I forget I forget how much it was, but I mean, there's I, I probably shoot five to six thousand photos in a night. <laughs> wow! And, and, yeah, and of those, wow. I would say I keep seven to eight hundred, and maybe six to eight hundred somewhere in that range. So. There's a there's a pretty big ratio of or a pretty small ratio of keepers to uh to actual shots taken. But I mean, you know, boxing's you just kind of have to point and shoot and and hope you're gonna get that, you know, that perfect contact sure. and yeah. all the sweat spraying and everything. And I would imagine that's a lot of uh that's a lot of quick decisions going through those photos, going, Nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, not one. I mean, you'd have to yeah. get through it all. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll shoot around the, the, the way that I, I I've created this workflow that works really well for me over time. Like I'm, you know, I kind of pride myself on how quickly I can get some quality photos at the end of the night, but basically you shoot around and then between rounds, you go through, look at what the round, the shots you just took during that round. And then hmm. in camera, you can rate them so that when you uh, are finished sure. with the fight, you can offload them, sort them by just the ones that you rated, process those and get them out the door. Nice. I, I mean, that's, it, that's cool. It, it makes you really kind of appreciate uh, boxing photographers from, you know, 40, 50 years ago uh, that didn't have digital, like how arduous of a process that must have been. I've got a few of these uh, cameras up here. This, well, not this one. This one's a little bit too outdated, but just like some of these really old film cameras. And there's uh -huh. been a couple occasions where I've taken these to fights. Um, they're all manual focus. So, uh, and I've tried to, you know, just for a round or two, see if I could get some shots and it's incredibly difficult to manual focus. I guess. <laughs> so yes, to your point, I, I agree. They, uh, those guys are, are the man. Yeah. That's amazing. I'd be scared to death to do that. And then that's the one round where something amazing happened and you couldn't get it in focus. And then you'd be uh, up. I'd be scared yeah. to death. So yeah. a nightmare. <laughs> 
so you weren't you weren't a boxing fan before. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you consider yourself a, a fan now at this point? Absolutely. I I've I've learned over the years that uh, boxing is such an it's it's such an interesting industry and and it's and it's one of those sports. I think this is part of the reason why why boxing struggles to have um kind of the fan base of some of these other big sports like NFL and, and, and you know and baseball hockey in that um you can't really just follow the fighters like there's there's so much to the story of boxing whether it's the promoters and the managers and the boxing teams and the coaches and all of the things that sort of happen between those camps and all the the conversations that happen online all of those things add up to the story of boxing and as I've gone along, you know, in the beginning, it was just kind of, oh, I'm here, I'm doing my job, you know, I'm learning a thing or two, putting this piece of content together, whatever. Um, but over time, as as you be you get to experience the story of boxing and become a part of it, you really don't have a choice but to just, you know, immerse yourself in it. And uh, yeah, I would say it, it's, I was never a big sports guy anyway, played some sports growing up, hockey, baseball, but um, never was the kind of person who could, uh, who would, who would take the time to really follow along with the sports outside of it. But, um, I definitely do that with boxing and, uh, yeah, I, I, I love boxing at this point. I was a, I was a big boxing fan, late eighties, all the way through the nineties, early two thousands, um, watched pay-per-views would get pay-per-views. Our buddies would, would get every pay-per-view play cards all night till the, till the main fights would come on. It was it was an appointment thing to do. <clears throat> I, yeah. I unfortunately now could not tell you any of the champions or anybody that's even remotely popular in that sport. So my question is going to be that you know Jake Paul seems to be bringing lights back or eyes at least back to the sport. Is he good or bad for boxing? Uh, you know you're going to hear um, some very passionate opinions about this on both sides. My stance is that. Um, I think it's good for the sport in that it's obviously bringing eyeballs to the sport. Now, Grant, you could argue a lot of these people that are watching are 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 just watching to see Jake Paul. Um, but you know, and I don't have any hard numbers for this, but you have to imagine that some of those people are sticking around to see kind of what happens and where he goes from there, and then that evolves into people um, you know just getting more interested in the sport. So, and the thing with Jake Paul is versus some of these other celebrity boxing matches you see is you know, these celebrity boxing matches, they just kind of go in to earn a paycheck. And, you know, Jake Paul, he has a, he's a promoter now uh-huh. and he's a fighter. He's mm-hmm. helping fighters. He's, he's doing a lot for women's boxing at this point. Um, he's actually, and, and he works really hard. You know, I've, I know people who have been involved and, and kind of covered his fights and his training and stuff like that. Him and his brother, Logan, like they work really hard and they, they're, they actually give a crap about, about the sport. So, um, you can hate him all you want, but at the end of the day, you know, he's bringing more eyeballs in and, and that's what we need. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I definitely feel conflicted because he is such a tool. Um, <laughs> but well, to yeah. your point though, Tim, do you think people are tuning in to watch him get knocked out? I think people because are hoping they feel like that. Yeah. About- I mean, I think people are, are, I think people hope that, that he is, but he's actually, you know, it was one thing when he was just beating up on kind of aging former you know (laughs) former professional athletes you know right uh to now to the point where he's actually starting to 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 prove himself as a legitimate fighter which i 
it almost pains me to say, but he actually like he's he's put in the work, and and I think there are a lot of people that that do want to see him get knocked out, and so far he's he's demonstrated that that he is uh, uh, living up to to what his mouth has 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 claimed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it it uh, it really pains would, me because he is such a tool. But I would like to see him take it or at least stick to boxing. You know, he's talking about, he's fighting MMA fighters and then he's like, you know, fights Tommy Fury. Yeah. Uh, but then he goes back and fights another MMA fighter. Then he talks about wanting to go into MMA and, and fight over there, which, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Um, I would like to see him try to stay consistent with boxing and, and move up. Um, and you also like, you know, people watch him fight and they're like, he's not that great, which he, at this point he's still not, but you also have to think, these young guys who just turned pro, he's got what, like seven or eight fights now. If you yeah. look at other fighters who go pro when they're fighting their eighth fight, they're still fighting four round fights, you know, and, and they're still learning. They still look a little off and a little weird. So, you know, if he stuck around for long enough and really dedicated himself to the sport, he, I don't necessarily see him ever becoming a world champion, but you know, he could do some damage. Yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's fun. It's funny this whole idea of just like you know, when you're a celebrity, you can kind of go and do whatever you want, type of thing. Um, uh, but yeah, he he's actually he, he it hasn't been, you know, it's been more than just a gimmick at this point, which is kind of yeah. uh surprising to see for sure. Yeah, so you said that yeah. there's there's. You know, heated debate on both sides. What's the other side of that argument? I mean, in inside the industry, there's got to be some. He hasn't earned his dues. He's you know making a mockery of the sport, things like that. That yeah, that's. I mean, that pretty much sum, summarizes it right there. It's it's uh, you know it's the boxing purists, I think, which it's interesting because you know I've ruffled some feathers on Twitter too. I like to kind of kind of go in on it on the on the trolls a little bit who who make some very uh, strange takes when it comes to boxing, but there's a lot of people who out there out there who consider th themselves boxing purists who will go out and say things like, you know, Oh, what that fighter did at the weigh in was uncalled for, or he didn't have to, you know, talk so much trash about this guy. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, imagine how boring boxing would be if everybody in boxing stopped doing what you say they should stop doing. Yeah. Like if yeah. it was just fighter, okay, this fighter's going to fight this fighter, no trash talk, no promotion. They just fight in the ring. Like how boring would that be? All that stuff is the kind of stuff that makes boxing in interesting. But yeah, it's the boxing purists, purists who sit around and say, oh, well, he's just making a mockery and he's going out there and, you know, making it look bad. Well, it, I don't but, necessarily subscribe. I mean, I mean, boxing has been a spectacle and big personalities forever, whether that be Muhammad Ali or Don King or what, like... I don't Mike Tyson bit a guy's ear off. I mean, <laughs> I was I was there for that, you know. Were you? <laughs> I was in the wow. MGM Grand for that. Wow! I didn't get a, I didn't get to see a fight because you know Marty Terrell screwed me. But that's a whole yeah. other episode. Yeah, that that We've is already done an episode on that. Yeah, that that is a whole other episode. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it it is one of those things where where uh, boxing is about. It, some of these, uh, particularly, you know, combat sports are, are about entertainment as much as, as, uh, not just, you know, the fight that itself being entertainment, but the whole 
industry is, is sort of about entertainment. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. to the level of professional wrestling, but you have personalities and you have, you, I mean, you look at the UFC and you think about all the personalities that, that have been in there. And I think probably you also just have to, um, uh, probably have a, a screw loose to do that in the first place. So I yeah. think, <laughs> um, yeah. have, have you ever, have you, since you've gotten uh, into the sport now, have you ever tried boxing? I haven't. I, I did uh, not even like with, with one of the boxers, like I, I did a boxing class, like a fitness class a long time ago. That's about as close as I get. I like to jump rope and I like to, you know, hit a heavy bag every now and then if I have access to one, but um it's it's been something that I've wanted to do for a while. I just haven't jumped in and done it. My uh, my neighbor is a boxer, and uh, when I first met him, he asked me my name three times, which is funny because his name is also Tim. <laughs> and, on the, <laughs> and on the third time, he goes, "I'm sorry, I'm a boxer. I get hit in the head a lot." <laughs> oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of that too. But there's that's uh, that's a concern in the sport for sure. <laughs> is that memory loss? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. Well, that's that's cool. Um, I I want to shift a little bit though and talk more about kind of the the content creation. Um, I sound as good as I do right now because of you, actually. Um, uh, and you do uh, a lot of stuff that to kind of teach other content creators how to uh, produce podcasts, things like that. Um, what gave you kind of the the impetus to actually get into talking about the art of content creation in the first place? Well, just to to what you said, I wish I could do more of it now. I haven't uh, I haven't been able to update my podcast in quite a while, just with life and everything. As we talked about my busy life, but um, yep. just I I, I kind of learned relatively early on. Some of the earliest YouTube videos I made were just tutorials. I would learn to you know how to do various things uh, in video and photography and would share those. And, and, and I learned that um, I was pretty decent at it. I would get a lot of good feedback and comments and things like that. Um, and uh, I guess that's just really it. I just, I just felt the need to, to kind of share what I knew. I was interested in, in, in the subject matter, interested to kind of share it and people seemed to kind of latch onto it and it just uh, kind of kept going. Um, well, I, yeah, I certainly appreciate it. I think there, there are some things, uh, that when I have listened, I've, I've learned a little bit and I'd like to think that we're a little bit better, uh, at this game, uh, because of, of you and and people like you, as we continue to figure out what the the heck all of this is. Thank you. You sound great. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. Again, uh, it's, it's uh, largely because of, of the uh, tools that you've given me and advice you've given me. So uh, I certainly appreciate that. Sure. Happy to help. Well, we have, we have a few new pods and, and things like that. So Tim's talking about what he's learned. What, what is a piece of advice that you would give somebody that is starting out in the podcast world? What, what's, what's probably the, the main thing that you need to, to, to bring across to them? Um, there's so many so many ways to answer that question. I think the the biggest thing, the question that I get most from people when it comes to podcasting and, and podcasting is obviously very popular right now. The pandemic really, you know, kind of shot it into popularity. Um, people like, you know, what kind of gear do I need to get? It's, it's always the question, what kind of gear, what kind of gear? Um, and the, I think that's, that's the wrong question to ask. I mean, 
at the end of the day, you can, you know, um, uh, what's it called? Anchor, like uh, uh, platforms like Anchor allow you to record podcasts directly from your phone. You know, you can your phone. I always tell people like if they if they need an answer to the gear question, get yourself a nice light, get a get some good soft lighting. And you can like if you had your phone and you were standing just in a, in a room with some crappy overhead lighting versus standing with like some sort of soft light, you'd be amazed at how much uh, that can make your your video look better. So, you know, I, I think just kind of sticking to gear, I would say get a good light um, and, and get a, maybe a decent audio because audio is, or get a decent microphone because audio is the foundation to podcasting. I would start there. Uh, the other thing is um, podcasting because it's so saturated, you really have to be consistent with it. Um, and you got kind of have to not be wavered with, you know, with not having a whole lot of views or, or downloads for a while. So you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta pick a niche, you gotta stick with it and you gotta, just kind of keep going and that's that's really <laughs> these days that's really the only way you're going to get any uh any kind of pickup in in this uh in this podcasting game <laughs> did, <laughs> did you did you see that this 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 uh comment that just came across here <laughs> george trice wants to know if it'll help marcus pfizer look better uh, <laughs> on our podcast side of the storm i don't know george he eats a lot of vegans so i'm guessing probably not I mean, it can only help so much. So yeah. right. there's a limit. God knows it's made me look so much better. I bought it. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I've always said that I've got a face for radio and a voice for silent films. So um, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> any help that I can get at all. So George does have a serious question. What if you're short on content? Do you still record? Uh, I mean, that's part of it. it. Part of having a podcast is is coming up with ideas. I mean, consistency is really the key. I wouldn't recommend if someone wants to start a podcast, most podcasts, as you'll know, have a very consistent posting schedule, whether it's daily, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever it is. Um, and your audience learns to expect that over time. So if you know, you're posting weekly and then you skip a couple weeks and you have a following, people are going to notice that. So, um, that's just something you kind of have to bear down and figure out if you don't have content. Well, sit down, jump on chat GPT and see, you know, <laughs> ask it for, I've done that plenty of times. Like I have no shame in that. Like, you know, I don't either. Gets I use inspiration. it all the time. Yeah. Everybody gets inspiration from everywhere. Chat GPT has been helpful with at least coming up with kind of that initial spark of an idea that I can elaborate on. Um, you know, if anything, just keep a, keep a list of ideas as you're walking around grocery shopping, something pops in your head or put it down on your phone that way, when you're low, I used to do this all the time when, with my podcast, when I was more consistent with it is if I didn't have an idea that I felt like I wanted to run with that week, I would just go into my notes and say, Oh, what I, haven't I done here? Oh, this looks good. I can expand on that and then just go from there. Yeah. I remember it's funny. You said during the pandemic, that's when Tim and I had started was late in the pandemic. So we, we had plenty to talk about um, whether it was making fun of people that didn't want to wear a mask or, Trump or, or whatever else. So we had plenty of content, but there were times where I think the day of I would message Tim and we'd be like, what are we going to talk about tonight? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have anything, but somehow it I've would had, work out. Yeah. So I've been there plenty of times. Yeah. It's hard, <laughs> yeah. man. Like it's a grind. It really is. Like if you want to do it well and you want to stay consistent, it's tough. It's not easy. I, so I, I mean, I, I admittedly, I don't know enough about 
boxing, but it does seem like there's always at least something as far as producing uh, a boxer's podcast that there would be something to talk about yeah. fairly regularly, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with with um Sean Porter's podcast, the Porterway podcast, um really every every episode is just kind of a recount of of what happened that week. So, and Sean um he's retired now, but he's he does uh, a lot of commentating on, you know, the zone and and he's, you know, Fox and Showtime. So, he's got a lot of experience on the mic and he can carry a conversation. I mean, his podcast is uh usually between an hour and an hour and a half in length. And um so there, yeah, there's no, uh, no loss in content when it comes to boxing. Cause there's always something going on, even if there's a small card and even if there's no boxing that happened in a couple weeks, there's a lot of different topics you can choose from as far as, you know, uh, fantasy matchups or, you know, what's this fighter up to and can we see him back in the ring, et cetera. So there's always something to work with. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about, uh, football podcasts, football, you know, runs from, august to february but the remaining months there it always seems like there's still plenty of things going on whether that be free agency or uh projections for the the next year or any other off-season drama or those types of things that go on it always seems like at sports in general became uh, Mm -hmm. a a 24 7 type of thing that there's always something to, to go on i mean that's that's the whole model of 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 ESPN. I remember, you know, when I was young and, and sports center launched and everyone watched sports center and then it, it run like five times a day and you'd continue watching it. And, uh, you watch the same episode like three, four times or whatever, but they managed to, to cycle through all of the same stories over and over again. And obviously there's a market for that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's talk uh, a little bit more about then uh, Premier Boxing uh, Championships in general. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what your role as as digital, what all that entails. It's a lot. Um, so, you know, we used to have a, a much larger team as a startup. And then, um, you know, over time as things happen, it's just you sort of uh, start to reel things in. And, and uh, so now we've kind of whittled down to the small team that we have currently. Um, so the digital team for PBC is myself. I have one other uh, digital comrade, and then we have a graphic designer. And we, you know, anything that you see that goes out on Premier Boxing Champions social channels, it comes from us. Uh, so we either created it in-house or clipped it from another piece of content or created the graphics, whatever it may be. Um, so any, uh, any content campaigns, you know, we, we create all the, the content campaigns for upcoming, upcoming events, do all the in-house social, um, media content creation, scheduling and posting, uh, all the content, uh, we manage the website. So we're the ones, you know, updating fighter pages and getting all the bouts and stuff on the website, uh, email marketing, um, you know, we, we will travel to, um, fighter camps. Uh, training camps and get photo and video content with them, sit them down for sit down interviews and things like that. In fact, next week, um, there's a big fight coming up between uh, Canelo Alvarez and uh, Jermel Charlo at the end of September. Um, and uh, there's a, a, a press tour coming up soon for that. So we're going to be traveling to uh, it's, it's New York to L.A. 
So in back-to-back days. So on one day, he started in New York, do a press conference, jump on a plane, go over to LA, do the same thing again, press conference, and then a whole bunch of marketing stuff. And then you come back home. So uh, I'll be there for that with camera in hand and my 40 pound, uh, you know, backpack of all my gear um, and just kind of collecting as much content as I can. Um, and then outside of that, we're even, you know, we collect footage from the networks after fights and organize and distribute that as necessary. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I was going to say, I, I, you know, I, I know, like, I know you've, you've been up here to Minneapolis. I know you travel quite a bit. You do, mm-hmm. you are kind of located in an area where a lot of fights happen. So, so you're, you're, you do have that benefit, but, uh, uh, there has to be a mix of, of a lot of things that you can, you can cover, uh, there. Um, but also that you do have to, to travel around. And, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, we talk about on this pod a lot is, is, you know, managing work life balance, being a dad and things like that. So, um, what, <laughs> what advice do you have? Uh, oh yeah. Ooh, I, Denny, I want to ask that question here in a second, but uh, uh, let's go ahead. Like, what advice do you have for for managing all of that? Oh, God, it's hard. Uh, the most recent, we had a fight on July 29th. It was the Spence and Crawford fight. Um, and that was probably the, the craziest um, event that we've done just as far as the buildup and the workload and everything that went into it. Um, and the, like the two weeks leading up to that fight were crazy. Like it was, it was a struggle, um, professionally and, and, you know, at home we had just got the, the puppy. So now we had this new responsibility in the house that we had to deal with. Uh, and it's hard, man. You know, it helps that, um, I work, I work from home. Um, basically, you know, everyone in the company were is, is remote, which makes it a little bit easier because, you know, I can just get my job done, whatever I need to, and then, and then go help out, drive the kids to activities or whatever it may be. Uh, but you know, it's, I've learned that, you know, when I, the older I get, I'm always trying to sort of, my, my goal is always to get to like relaxation. You know, Mm -hmm. I I find myself Mm -hmm. just trying to kind of hurry through things just so I can kind of sit down on the couch and maybe, you know, flip on Twitter or whatever it may be for a little bit. That's sort of like my default these days. And I just kind of have to occasionally remind myself, like, you know, you got to just keep going. Like one of my mottos is is just keep going, just like keep moving. You had the energy, you can do it. Um, And, you know, I would much rather at the end of the day, go to sleep knowing that I had a really productive uh, good day, even if I'm exhausted. And that includes whether it's work or whether it's, you know, going to a kid's concert or whatever it may be, I would much rather end the day knowing that I did everything that I could throughout the day, um, then feel like a lazy bum all day. So, um, to answer the question, it's, uh, you just kind of have to, to just keep going and, <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't really know how else to put it. It's, no, no, it's I, tough. I, and th- there are definitely times that are harder than others. Like, you know, like I mentioned with this fight, like it created a lot of tension in the house. It was not easy. Um, but luckily at least in boxing, it's very cyclical. So there'll be times where there'll be some lulls. Like right now is kind of a slow time when it picks back up, it gets a little bit harder. So it's just kind of a, it's, it's a cycle. I uh, no, I, no, I appreciate that. I, I think uh, sometimes, you know, Sometimes my struggle is is when 
uh, things get the most hectic is when I when my body and brain want to shut down the most. And mm-hmm. so the idea of just keep going is important because that that requires a um, you know you talk about in boxing there's there's a hype man uh, you need your own kind of hype man to just keep going on some yeah, of those yeah. things right yeah, for sure. working from home and having all of that uh, things that you do the podcast and, and the photography and whatever do you find it sometimes hard to separate? home life and, and work life. I know when, with oh, me, yeah. I, I've worked from home now for the last three years and I find like I need that separation. I almost crave now to have an office and things to go work at so that I feel like there's some kind of separation. The minute I walk into my house, it's mine and I don't have to think about it. Uh, yeah, the the lines are definitely blurred these days between work. I mean, you know, I have instead of like sort of separating work and home, I have just little things that I'll do at home. Like I'm a bath guy. Like that's like, that's my decompression activity is I'll just like, I'll just, do, do you have a whiskey in the bathtub? Cause that's what Tim does. And it's still creepy. I, occasionally. I, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, occasionally. Do you have candles? Cause Tim has candles. <laughs> I, 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 I can't lie. I do. I, I, I do. I do. I was going to say, uh, I'm going to say, I'm pretty sure Ryan and I have even commented on posts about this. I think I've, I've, I've posted on Twitter about having a whiskey oh and, and a candle. In, in a bath. I'm telling you. In my man, defense, listen, I'm too don't fat. Don't knock it until you bed. try it. I can't, I can't fit in a bathtub. So in my defense, I can't But like, yeah, like I, I just have to, find things like that those are kind of my decompression events as long as i have those i can i maintain a, a level of sanity uh, i have recently speaking of whiskey i've gotten into whiskey a little bit uh as of late um so i'll sit down and enjoy a glass and and just kind of chill you know watch i watch netflix a little bit more now than i used to as a way to just kind of get myself away from the computer because i mean as much as this space is where I work, it's also where I have fun and like make my own personal stuff. So again, that kind of makes it even harder to separate. So I just kind of have to, you know, go towards those little activities. Well, uh, speaking of whiskey, why don't we go ahead and take a break and hear from our friends at Revelton Distilling Company. At Revelton Distilling Company, everyone has become a part of the Revelton family. From the Taylors and their daughter who helped perfect their award-winning gins, to the team who installed Lucy, our 33-foot-tall custom-made still, right down to the local farms that provide our coveted corn, and even the cows on those farms who consume our mash byproduct. Want to see the farm to flask come to life? Now you can tour Lucy and find out where we take Iowa's harvest and transform it into our finest spirits. Choose between a 45-minute tour or find out even more by scheduling a VIP behind-the-scenes tour to get the taste of the full Revelton experience. You can visit them at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or find all of Revelton's award-winning spirits at any local grocery or spirits retailer. You know, I don't remember my own address as well as I remember 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, <laughs> I Iowa. Know, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, Ryan, if you if you ever make it to, to Iowa for any reason, I don't know that Iowa ever hosts any fights in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but if you ever make it Usually. to Iowa, yeah, yeah, you'll have to you'll have to head on on down there. I mean, we don't yeah. really. Hey, you made it to Minneapolis, and we almost never have 
too many things on a card here. Uh, it does happen from time to time. Yeah, they have a lot of fights at the Armory there. Yeah, the Armory it's is, is venue. The, the Armory is really neat. I did not think... So when that got converted to uh, an actual venue, what was that, eight years ago maybe? I don't remember how... It hasn't been that long. Um, I I did not think it was going to be as good of a venue as it is, and it's amazing, and it's a really diverse one, right? So they can yeah. host boxing they can host concerts it's really good for concerts i really actually really like concerts the bars are all on the side you never have to wait in line for a drink or yeah. to go to the bathroom um uh, the acoustics are great the the diversity of what you can hold there is is uh surprisingly good um i'm really happy with that it, it's it's good we're we're a sneaky good city for things like that yeah i i've only we've had a number of fights at the armory um i've only been there for I think I've only been there for one at this point, uh, but I had a lot of fun. Like the the yeah, the venue's great. There, it's like kind of standing room only, which is not traditional for a boxing event. So you get these people that are just kind of just wandering around, and, and the crowds are always really hyped to be there. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like yeah, it. I, I. Where did you end up going for a drink? You asked for a recommendation when you were in town. Do you remember where, where you ended up going? Uh, I don't I think, know. I think I told you Mackenzie. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if I had a chance to make it out there. I know I met my cousin at the Mall of America for a little bit. Um, but I don't know if I ever had a chance to to get out and explore a ton. Oh, sure. Yeah, so I might not have made it. Sure. Next time. Okay. No, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah, next time you're in town, let me know and we'll 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 hook up and, and, and grab something. For sure. Um I one thing that I got asked before the break that I that I actually thought was a really good question was from Denny that's popping up right now. How hard is it to get your gear through TSA? <laughs> uh, it's not surprisingly, it's not that hard. I mean, my, my, my camera bag is typically like 40 pounds. Um, and, uh, I carry it on my back. And I mean, really, I'm trying to think I, it doesn't get pulled a lot. And usually if it gets pulled, it's they check for, they they check for things that I wouldn't expect at all. Like they're, they're just, you know, they find a, uh, like I had, I had this little metal comb and that's what they, that's what was flagged, <laughs> that's what they flagged. <laughs> and that's what they pulled out. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, typically I, I usually get through pretty easily. I haven't gotten any, you know, pulled out for any random, uh, <laughs> random uh, searches or anything like that, at least not for a while. TSA is so random. I, I, I have made yeah. it, I've made it to a destination with something that got flagged on the way back. So I made it all oh, the way yeah. through one security or, you know, a friend of mine uh, got on the plane and reached in her pocket and realized she had like a surgical scalpel and, oh, and, cer yeah, and cer surgical scissors. Well, uh, when, when you're like a ambulatory vet, yeah, you do have those things in, in your guess, pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so she didn't even realize she made it all the way through with all that stuff. Uh, you know, meanwhile, I, meanwhile, I had like a one inch ferrocerium rod that they had got all been under shape for. So I came back, uh, I came back from Vegas when the Iowa state game was there and got all the way through TSA, got to my gate. i had had a gift for a buddy of mine. He doesn't, he can't drink beer, but I had bought one of those fake glasses that you put in the freezer that had, looks like it has beer in it and it freezes oh, sure. or whatever. So I went through TSA, got to my gate. They canceled our flight. I had to come back out, go to another gate to get on a different flight. And they flagged me at the other TSA and threw it away. 
So in the same <laughs> airport, I did not even have consistency. So it does not surprise there, me one bit. There have been times where I've gone through and they'll pull something out of the bag and, you know, they'll, they'll check for it. I'm like, you know, I've flown with this a hundred times and you're the first person and they don't care. They're just like, yeah, right. whatever. Well, it's not how it works here. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. My son, Jordan, uh, we came back from Alabama and he had bought these shiny metallic cards, like playing cards. And they were in his carry on and they flagged it and they pulled his bag and, and the kid um, has Williams syndrome. So he doesn't fully understand everything going on anyways. And he's starting to get anxious and they can't get a suitcase open. And we had had problems with it before. And my wife was just about ready to tell them how to open it. And they had broke the suitcase open and everything had spilled out. And man, I thought Jordan was going to have a meltdown in the middle. Of the yeah. And he was screaming and yelling at him. And I was like, you have got to shut up. Or we're, all- <laughs> no. we're all gonna get taken to a you back room and shut sat up. down. <laughs> you over there fixed the suitcase. I was like, oh. it was like a madhouse in there. I thought we were all gonna get kicked out of there. It, it is traveling. Traveling all because of general, yeah. all because of some metallic playing cards. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I, oh. I, yeah. That, I mean, that's why I did TSA pre-check because they really barely give a crap about anything at that point. Yeah, because when you pay a lot of money, you're not a terrorist. <laughs> you know, TSA pre-check is one of the – I still haven't done it. I don't have clear. I don't have pre-check. Nothing. Uh, I should probably do that. But I, I guess I've been doing all right without it so far. So, <laughs> You know, it's it's funny. There have been times where, you know, my TSA pre-check – like I, I'll travel with someone who doesn't have it, and they get through the line just as fast, right? Um, yeah. And I'm like, all right, whatever. It didn't really save me a whole lot. I'm like, but I didn't have to take off my shoes. <laughs> that, that alone, the older I get, the harder it is to tie my shoes. So I uh, <laughs> just not have to deal with that. Um, I don't blame you for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, what, what did I say the, uh, the other day? Someone got, uh, got flagged for oh, one of those switchblade combs. Okay. Okay. First of all, they should get flagged because the 1980s called Watanabe <laughs> comb back. Who yeah, has a switchblade. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're like acting next to his Rubik's cube. Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> we yeah, we did not. We did not uh, flag hey, you way. because of anything dangerous. <laughs> oh, no, that's nice. Are you? Are you? Are you a? Are you a Rubik's cube guy? I can solve it, like in in maybe like a minute and a half. But oh, you know, God. I'm no speed. Cuber no way. A minute and a half is still pretty good. That's it's not like good. it's not like those nerds that can do it behind their back or or, or things like that. But that's Blind still. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm five years in. I still haven't been able to do to do mine. So <laughs> YouTube videos. Just learn once you learn all the algorithms. It's uh, it's it's easy from there. Oh, it's funny. it's funny. Everyone gets us. Oh, you can, no way. It's so impressive. like it's just remembering a series of algorithms is really all it is. It seems like a lot of work. <laughs> I, just, I just used to pull mine apart and put it back together. <laughs> That's another way to do it. Yeah, that yeah. It's, it's, it, it, there are stickers. You can just yeah, there's stickers. I've done that before too. <laughs> that that's that's my life hack is to is to just uh, beat the system like that. That's right. There you go. I like it. I like yep. it. Um, uh, Ryan, one thing I did want to ask you about uh, because you have been so open about it on on 
uh, social media. Um, uh, you also went through a a heart valve. Uh, I, I I don't I guess I don't even know what procedure you went through. Uh, yeah. How did how did that like how did you get diagnosed? What 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 was leading up to that? And and what's that journey been like? Well, I could go on forever about this. Um, but uh, so I, I was born with uh, a congenital heart valve defect. It's called a bicuspid aortic valve. Um, if you picture like a Mercedes logo. That's kind of what a normal heart valve looks like where there's three flaps that open and close to let blood through. When I was born, I had two flaps because two of those had fused together. So it sort of creates a valve that opens and closes like this. And you can see there's sort of these openings on the side. So over time, that valve opening can get a little bit smaller. Calcium can kind of collect in these areas here, which uh, it's called stenosis. Um, so the heart has to work a little bit harder to pump blood through. It's actually not all that uncommon of a uh, of a condition. About two percent of the population has it, um, and uh, I've, I've been creating some content around it, especially on, like on TikTok and Instagram, uh, just kind of talking about my experience going through it. And it's it's been interesting to see how many people have actually either have the condition or went through surgery already or are about to go through surgery. Um, but it's something that I've known that I've had since I was born, and uh, I knew that one day. Uh, it would, it would require some surgical intervention. Um, a lot of people who have it typically, uh, don't need it till they're a little bit older. And there's two, there, there's a few different procedures that they can give you that, uh, to fix it. The, the kind of the common ones are they, they take a, a tissue valve from a, uh, like a pig or a, uh, or a, uh, cow typically, they'll put it in a catheter, they'll run it in a vein up your leg and then just kind of insert it. And then you're in the hospital for a day and then you're out. That's crazy. The, 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 the issue with that procedure is that it's um, insane. While it, <laughs> yeah, it's, crazy. <laughs> it's the least invasive, but it also has a shorter shelf life for, it's like five to 15 years. And, and, but literally like when you get a new one replaced, they just put another one right in there. But over time, the more you do that, obviously the less effective they become sure. and because I'm younger, they, you know, they didn't want to do that. The other being a mechanical valve, where it is an open heart surgery, they you know put the actual man-made mechanical valve in there. The issues with that is, yes, it longer shelf life, but um, you have to take lifelong blood thinners because mm. blood can coagulate in the little creases, and if you know one of those gets loose in your brain, you're yep. dead instantly. Sure. The other being, and this would drive me nuts, is that apparently you can hear it. So, like, if you're standing next to someone, they can hear your heart clicking wow. as the valve wow. opens and closes, and that would just, that would wow. drive me nuts. So it was. I was I hoping would... to not do that. So what I ended up getting was, uh, it's called the Ross procedure. Uh -huh. It's a less common uh, procedure, but what they do, it, it is an open heart procedure. They open you up. They, they remove your aortic valve. They take your own pulmonary valve, put that in the aortic position, and then they replace your pulmonary valve with a, a human donor valve, so an outside donor valve. And the okay. reason they do it like that a few reasons, actually. Number one, your pulmonary valve is obviously your own tissue. So if you're using that to replace your aortic valve, it's let your body's less likely to reject it. Number two, pulmonary valve is very similar in its construction, apparently, to your aortic valve. So it can kind of learn to behave like it. Wow. Um, but the big one is the aortic valve is uh, a high pressure system. Pulmonary valve is a low pressure system. So some people might ask, well, why wouldn't they just replace the aortic valve with the donor valve? And that's because um, a donor valve is going to is not going to have to work as hard in that pulmonary position. 
So if you put your own, your own, your own tissue in the aortic position, in theory, it should last longer. And actually the longevity curves for this procedure, uh, show that, uh, people typically last longer and, and don't require, um, uh, more surgical intervention as a result. So that's what I, that's what I did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I mean, some of those, some of those things you shared on social media, uh, looked, uh, intense. Um, but I was amazed at, at, uh, I mean, obviously I, I, I don't know, but based on what you said, kind of the recovery time seemed a lot quicker than I would have expected. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. I, I would say, I would say so too. I mean, and shoot, like even in the hospital, they don't let you wait long. Um, I, I got, I was in, I went in for surgery on a Wednesday morning, got out Wednesday afternoon by Thursday, they had me out of bed and walking, like taking that's steps. Crazy. Like, like literally yeah. your chest yeah, was that's... open on Wednesday <laughs> and on yeah. Thursday they're like, yeah, I know we just opened up your entire chest cavity, but exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Re recovery was rough, but it was, it was slow, but very consistent. Um, it's just kind of one of those things where you just realize every day that you were a little bit better than the day before. I was in the hospital for four nights, went in Wednesday, got out on Sunday. We stayed for a few more nights because I, I had the surgery in um, L.A. Uh, doctor named Dr. Von Starnes, who, by the way, also did the same procedure on Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's known oh, for yeah. like, yeah, he's known worldwide for like working on children's hearts. So sure. I felt in pretty good hands. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I was across the, the street at the hotel for a couple days recovering there. And then my parents drove out to uh, to drive us back home to Vegas. And a lot of like I stayed pretty active, like I moved around quite a bit, but, you know, still a lot of sitting down. I bought a, a lift recliner that's still up in our room so I could kind of easily get up and, and down from my chair and got some meal prep and things like that so that I could have some easy access to some healthy food. And, uh, just kind of every day you, you, you know, you go for your, your short little walks and try to stay active as much as possible. Um, I did uh, a little bit of, uh, um, cardiac rehab, I think around November. Um, and then I would say probably by the beginning of this year, I, I was pretty much back to, to full health and, and back to work and everything. Wow. That's oh. yeah. 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 It, it was just an insane to kind of watch. And like, obviously I'm not living your day to day, but, but to see how like quickly you, you got back, you know, cause some of the pictures that you posted were, were, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to say graphic, but like, it, it was very clear that you went through a major procedure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a, there's a good 10 inch scar here. And then uh, I have these two, scars uh, kind of um just uh above like right right below the rib cage where they they had uh like drain tubes yeah. like they go into your body about a foot and they're about you know a quarter inch thick yeah. um it was it, i mean looking back it's it's such a crazy experience and and i feel great today the interesting thing though that i like to tell people is that the one thing that i haven't gotten used to i mean i'm i'm back to well i'll say this so one of the really, I didn't have a ton of symptoms from this, but like, you know, the metrics were showing that the opening was getting closed. That's why they told me, okay, now's the time to go get the surgery. But the only real symptom I, I had prior to surgery, um, is when I would go for a run, I would maybe run for 60 to 90 seconds. And then my chest would just tense up yeah. like, it, like it would start to be painful. And I had to stop. I had to take a seat. If I sit up too fast, I get tunnel vision. So yeah. uh, probably my heart just having a hard time pumping the blood through. Mm -hmm. I've um, had that since 
<laughs> but you know, ever since the surgery, I can I can do all of that. I I'm I'm lifting weights. Um, they just tell me don't you know no more one rep maxes like I was pre-surgery. Um, but uh, one of the things, uh, where was I going with that? Oh oh the, the yeah. So the one thing that I haven't gotten used to, I feel I feel normal as far as everything is concerned, except for one thing, which is the the, the I haven't gotten used to the way that my heart beats in my chest yet. Oh, which sounds mm-hmm. a little strange, but it's almost like when they went to kind of pack everything back in, they sort of like the heart shifted just a little mm. bit. So, you know, if I'm laying very calmly on in, in bed or whatever, uh, uh, like my heart beats up against my lung. So uh, you can almost hear little mini breaths in and out. And like, it just feels like it beats a little bit harder. So uh, that I still, that's been tough to get used to, but everything else, I, I feel great. I feel back to back to normal. Well, yeah, that, that valve's really working and you can really tell the beats now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, I, yeah, yeah, that is insane because you think about it like every once in a while, like the way you lay on a pillow or whatever, you can feel your heartbeat in your ear or you can hear or whatever. But for the most part, like I, 99.9% of the time, I'm not even thinking about my heartbeat. Yeah. So to have that be a constant reminder, I think would definitely be, uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I get in my own head a lot too. So yeah. <laughs> But that's, I mean, yeah, this is, this is, I struggle enough to, to deal with that. I couldn't imagine like having a mechanical valve and just hearing clicks you know, oh, God. Yeah. through my body all the time. Well, you think Aaron would be irritated by me clicking my pin all the time on a podcast. <laughs> I just made a heart that clicked all the time. All right. Um, well, Ryan, we're going to go ahead and, and, uh, take a break here and hear from our sponsors at Wintrust Mortgage, but uh, uh, we have a specific question that, that is sponsored by Wintrust Mortgage. Chris, I'm going to go ahead and let you ask this question. Okay. Ryan, uh, you have a magic time machine that can go back 10 years. You have the option yeah. to go back and meet Ryan from 2013. What piece of advice are you going to give him? I'll have him, you, I'll have you hold your answer. We'll get in, uh, a message here from Kyle and then we'll come back and get your answer. Okay. Are you in the market for a new house and unsure of the mortgage process? Want to know that you have someone looking out for you? Kyle Lehman from Wintrust Mortgage is a down-to-earth, knowledgeable lender who can be there for you in your corner. He can work with you in any of the 50 states and is just what you need to expand your home search. Kyle will work with you through the entire process with little to no work from you. Take the worry of the mortgage process out of the equation so that you can focus on looking for your dream home. Contact Kyle at www.wintrust.com forward slash Kyle dash layman or call him at 515-473-0546. All right. Uh, and thanks again to Kyle for being such a, a great sponsor. Uh, be sure to look him up for any mortgage needs you have. So Ryan, again, you have a, uh, a time machine. You can go back and talk to Ryan 2013. What piece of advice are you going to give him? Well, Knowing everything that I know now, um, I think I, I 2013 Ryan would have never imagined that 2023 Ryan would be where he is. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed in very many ways. I have a, a career that I love. I have, um, you know, a great family. Um, I, you know, I just have a great life at the moment and, I think if I had the opportunity to go back, 
and say anything to myself, it would probably be just, you know, you're going to be fine. Like just keep, just keep going to, to kind of the callback to uh, what I was saying earlier, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, don't, don't um, pass up any good opportunities, but you're going to be fine. I think that's, that would be very comforting to me at that time, you know, at a time where, yes, I was kind of working in a field that I was interested in, but still not, not knowing where I was going with it or where it was going to take me. Um, just to kind of have that comfort of knowing that as long as I just kind of keep down this path, I think I'm going to be all right. Would, uh, would mean a lot to me back then. Great. Yeah. Tim, did you notice he did a callback? It's not his first time he's been on a podcast. <laughs> well, that's why I asked him on. <laughs> like Write that, that down. Write yeah. that down. I like that. Callbacks to the previous part of the episode. Yes. Who'd have thought? I never would have thought of that. Yeah, right? No, I, I, I very much appreciate guests that actually uh, do our job for us. I think that's all the better. Excellent. Um. Well, uh, shoot, uh, Ryan, we have um, uh, a segment on this podcast where uh, I'm going to introduce this one because Chris always loves to uh, tell a story that it was tell about. the truth. I like to uh, tell the truth. She literally, literally disavowed this truth that you claim is going on, and I'm not going to go back and listen to to her podcast to. To, to validate what the truth is um but uh we have a segment on this podcast uh sponsored by our friend steph copley uh where we uh stf you and let you say whatever you want to say to our audience um literally anything you you got on your mind this is this is an open forum and uh chris and i are going to uh shut up and let you talk. So, Chris, go ahead and, and throw in Steph's little pitch there, and we'll get get to that. Hey, everybody. It's Steph Copley, the woman behind the STFU segment on the Old Man Strength podcast. When I told the guys I wanted to sponsor this segment, they recommended that I make a charitable donation instead. So that's what I did. I chose the Young Women's Resource Center in Des Moines, Iowa. They're a nonprofit that supports, educates, and advocates for girls and young women ages 10 to 24. Their whole goal is to make sure that these young women become strong, self-confident, and successful. And if you know me at all, you know that aligns with my goals as well. If you're interested and would like to donate, check them out at ywrc.com org and donate today and remember don't forget to stfu and listen every once in a while thanks so ryan with that uh the floor is yours okay well old man strength podcast listeners um I'll give you a little dose of motivation just want all of you to know you're doing great just keep what you're doing what you're doing and if you keep doing what you're doing working hard you know, you're, you're going to be fine. Just, just keep going. That's my message. I love it. Uh, we don't often get like true motivation. And that's I, right. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. I, I, uh, discreetly Ryan, that's a message I need to hear. So that's actually really no good. Kidding. Keep going. Just keep going. No, absolutely. Um, Cool. Uh, 
Chris, what other questions do you have for, for Ryan before we, we let him go? I don't. I think it's been uh, a pleasure uh, getting to know you, Ryan, and hearing your story. And uh, heck, it may even make me uh, want to watch some boxing now. So what's the next big, big boxing match that I should that I should watch? If I'm a if I'm not a, a regular watcher anymore, what's the one I need to watch that'll get me hooked back in? The next big one on our on our uh, uh, schedule is going to be Canelo Alvarez versus Jermel Charlo, September 30th. That's going to be on Showtime pay-per-view live from Las Vegas. You've got Canelo, who is undisputed at 168 pounds. Jermel Charlo, who is actually undisputed at 154 pounds, is going to come up and test himself against King Canelo. Uh, so that's going to be definitely one to watch. A lot of uh, kind of up-in-the-air questions around that one. Does Jermel, you know, him coming up and wait, is that going to be a problem for Canelo? Does Canelo's getting a little bit older? You know, he is. does he still have what it takes to take on some of these young guns? That's yeah, the fight he, that I would watch. He's he's on the tail end of his career, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's getting up there. He's, uh, you know, it's, well, it's interesting because I think he's, well, he's still, like, uh, was he 30 now? Like, he's, He's getting older, but he's not that old. But he's also got—he's had such a long career already. Um, Some of those boxers are like running backs, where you know they—they they yeah. start to, to tail off pretty sharply uh, in their yeah. thirty, right? I mean, and, and, and he's—you know—and this is not uh, to say that uh, this is like you know taking away from boxing for him, but like you know he's—he's he's starting to show interest in a lot of other things. Like he's—he's he's apparently a really good golfer now, sure. so he's been doing a lot of that. So. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, even if he was to end his boxing career, I'm sure he'd uh, he'd he'd be just fine. But uh, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he can do in September. And actually, he's uh, he'll be with PBC for three fights. So we've got him for three, at least three more fights. So he's going to uh, entertain some fans for uh, for another year or two on our platform. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, Ryan, it has been great chatting with you, getting to know you a little bit more. Uh, one of these things where we've interacted, you know, uh, semi-frequently on social media, it's been actually fun to sit down and, and, and that, that's all that this podcast is. It's an excuse for me to, to hang out and talk to people I don't get to normally talk to. That's, that, that's, that's basically the, the entire impetus of, of basically everything at three beards media honestly well uh, and tim I've, I've told you this before but you're still one of my favorite people on twitter oh i thank you very much uh, <laughs> I, I i do appreciate that i oh of, my gosh of, of all of all Chris, of you're people, not so bad yourself i mean i, I just start following you just start following me. i know i appreciate it of, of, of all the people on twitter i am certainly one of them um <laughs> so uh no Really appreciate it. It's 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 fun getting to know you. Uh, this has been a blast. I do want to uh, make sure that I give a shout out to all the other pods on Three Beards Media. We have too many right now for me to even list, and we keep on growing by the day. Chris, do you want to talk about anything that we have going on in the podcast and content network we have created here? You know, it's been a, a busy past week. We had you guys on Bitter Units had a really good episode. Uh, last week, Hot Miss had a, a new episode last week. Uh, Caitlin and I had uh, a like father, like daughter on Monday. Uh, Hawks Eye View will have another new episode tomorrow, and then we interview Jordan Bohannon on Fall Starts tomorrow night. So, uh, it's a busy week around here. So, uh, and according to George, he's going to be on a regular schedule now. Because <laughs> Ryan said, Ryan said that he needs to come up with content regardless. So, yeah, Ryan, I, I appreciate it. Anytime we need some motivation for those guys, just get those guys on there. You should have I a talk you. with Aaron. 
<laughs> exactly exactly no i i appreciate that so please go ahead and check that out please go ahead and, and check out our sponsors in in uh revelton distilling in 1400 west clay street Osceola, iowa uh and kyle layman at Wintrust mortgage please uh, go ahead and check them out uh check everything else on the three birds media network and with that we will catch you guys next time <laughs>